All right. Well, I'm just glad to join you all today as we continue this series um, through the book of Revelation, which we probably all know by now, if you haven't already, that Revelation is one of the most complex, misunderstood, and regularly fought over books in the Bible, right? I should probably take my mask off, right? Okay. Thank you for allowing me to do that. (laughs) Now my glasses won't fog. Okay. Um, So as a result, this is kind of my disclaimer. Like we put disclaimers on products or things, you know, you know, if you do this, then this will, this could happen or that could happen, whatever. But as a result, because Revelation is such a complex and often misunderstood book, I kind of want to start off and say a few things like Kristen did um, last week, which Kristen, I don't know where she's at, where she went to now. She's right back there. But I just want to just say that she did a phenomenal job in front of everyone and just give her a little bit of a shout out. She's like shaking her head, but I'm still going to do it. She did a fantastic job. But like in in that same kind of vein as she kind of started off, I want to like point us towards a few things. And one of those is that as we enter into the book of Revelation, we have to enter into it with humility, with love, with charity, and with an open mind. If we are going to truly understand what the Lord is trying to speak to us. And like she mentioned also last week, as we go through today, we have to keep in mind a few important things when it comes to our hermeneutics or it comes to our study or interpretation of the text. The first of those is, is it can't mean for us today what it didn't mean for the original audience, okay? I don't necessarily need to... um, go in further on that because she did last week. But the second thing is, even though it wasn't written directly to us, it is still for us because God still speaks through it, right? Like, even though it wasn't written to us, it's still for us, okay? And then third, uh, the third thing is just to say that one of the ways we're going to approach things today, and it's really helpful with most scripture, is to start with the process that... Um, one of my uh, friends and teachers, he kind of told me was text to context. Okay, text to context. So what does that mean? It means that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the biblical authors were brilliant at what they did, especially John here in Revelation, because the symbols, numbers, images, and wordings are usually derived either from things directly found in the Old Testament, the text, and from their own historical context, the context, okay? And we're going to see several examples of that today. So please join me on this journey because we're going to be doing a drive-through look at chapters 8, 9, and 10. That's right, three chapters in 20 minutes um, because I am a glutton for punishment, I think so. So, yeah, so I need to set my timer because I want to try to keep us in good time. So, all right, so as we kind of begin, let's go ahead and go to chapter 8 um, and just go ahead and flip in your in your Bibles. Some of, this, some of it will be on screen. Some of it, honestly, won't be on screen. I'm not going to be able to read through all of it because if I did, that would 
be like our entire time almost. So I'm just going to have to go through it um, that way. So as you are there, let's just start and read the first several verses of Revelation chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. And on the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Okay, let's let's pause. Let's let's stop there for a second. Okay, so we start off this chapter by looking by John specifically mentioning that they're opening up the seventh seal. So previously the six other seals have been opened, and Kristen did a lot of those last week. Okay, so we're on the seventh seal. Right as it's time to open the seventh seal, what happens? There's a pause. There's a silence that happens in heaven. Okay, pause, silence, rest, anticipation, if you will, of what is to come. But let me make a quick note, because as we were reading through that, Like, if you just read through those first five verses, it might feel like a little clunky because some theologians, some scholars believe that verse two actually is supposed to be after verse five. Um, So the introduction of the seven angels and the seven trumpets maybe happens after the talk about the prayers of the saints, which, if you think about it, thematically could make sense because why else is heaven all of a sudden pausing and being silent well it could be just because the seventh seal is opening but i like to think and some scholars theologians also like to think that heaven is silence it's paused because they're listening to the prayers of the saints isn't that a beautiful thought it's an incredibly beautiful thought because the reality is prayers matter What do you think those prayers were? I can only imagine that they are prayers of deliverance. Prayers for God's kingdom to come. Prayer for the wrongs to be made right. Prayers that Jesus would have no more delay in His returning. Paul says it well at the end of 1 Corinthians. And and so does John at the end of Revelation when he says Maranatha, or we might say Maranatha. It means, come Lord Jesus, or come our Lord. A simple prayer. Come Lord, come. Let us not forget that God hears the prayers of His people. And that prayer actually makes a difference. God hears their prayers, and He hears ours too. So before we go any further, let us also pause and pray. Jesus, thank you for prayer. Thank you that we may come to you, that we may lift our requests 
before your throne that you would even pause to hear them. Lord, hear our hearts. Speak to us through your word. And Lord, help us to know you more and the hope of your resurrection by the end of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now let's take a look at the rest of what's happening here. The seven angels and the seven seals. Because Seven angels and the seven trumpets. Because after the seventh seal is opened, we have this chain reaction that is set off and we see the seven angels and seven trumpets kind of coming in secession. So, with each trumpet comes plagues on the earth. We have hail, we have fire, we have blood, we have seas turning to blood, we have bitter waters, we have a sun that is struck and turned dark, and we have more things, some of them that are up there on the slide. All of these things happen within the first four angels and first four trumpets. Okay? My question to you as we go text to context, as we look at this, is there anything that looks familiar? Does anything stand out about these specific plagues? They should, right? Because if we look through these, just a cursory glance, we see that these are like the ten plagues, right? These are the ten plagues of Egypt, or or a lot of these things are connected to the Exodus story. In other words, this vision that John is having is a word of hope that just as God heard the prayer prayers of his peoples in Egypt and he delivered them with the mighty and outstretched arm, so he will deliver the original audience from their enemies. Amen? Amen. God is remind John is reminding them through this image that he has given that they have received deliverance and they will receive deliverance. Now, chapter 8 then ends with the eagle flying over, pronouncing woe that is to come through the next three angels and trumpets. This eagle, like other eagles mentioned throughout the Old Testament, is used as a harbinger of destruction and judgment. And it's similar to like what we see in Ezekiel 17, which seems to fit well for what is to come next in chapter 9. So there's lots of places in the Old Testament you could find examples of eagles. Um, There's even... uh, Scholars and theologians will talk to you about how Rome itself, one of the images associated with Rome and the emperor, was an eagle. We don't have time to go into all those things. But just looking at the text, looking at the Old Testament, Ezekiel 17 seems to be a really close connection if you want to look back through that in the time you know you have. Okay, so like I said, it's very much a drive-through. So now we're in chapter 9, okay? As we hit chapter 9, we have the arrival of the fifth and sixth angel and trumpet. Okay, so let's start with the fifth. What is the creature that comes from the abyss? It's locusts. Does that sound familiar? Once again, the exodus, the ten plagues, okay? But 
the interesting things thing about this one is it's also Joel 1, if you have time later to also look up Joel 1. But we also have more of a historical context with this image because if you look at especially verses 7 um, through 9 here, you start to see that the locusts start to take on very human-like qualities and characteristics from things like long hair and it talks about their faces um, and things like that. And a lot of the theologians and scholars that I've read, one of the things they like to talk about is that this is a reference to the Parthians. The Parthians were one of the enemies of the Romans that were on like the eastern side of the empire who were always threatening the Romans. Um, and so John, by not only using an Old Testament reference text, but a contextual reference to the Romans, he is trying to, I think, show his readers that God will bring woe to all his people's enemies, past and present. Remember, one of the things that it talks about and when Jesus talks about or Paul talks about is that when we when it talk, comes to vengeance or it comes to getting revenge on our enemies, it talks about over and over again that vengeance is the Lord's. And so we have a group of people who are being persecuted who know that vengeance is the Lord and they're seeing it happen through the past and through the present as John connects this vision to what is happening in their life, in their setting. The sixth angel and trumpet then follow as four angels are released to wipe out a third of mankind. Wow. The crazy thing is that even after all this death and destruction caused by the first six trumpets, the people left still do not repent. Even after seeing the power of God in creation, they still worship demons, idols, and their own sinful behavior. Do we as a society, as a church, struggle with repentance? Well, let me, let me uh, be more specific. How are you with repentance? Because i, I got to tell you, I was reading this passage this week, and I was just meditating on it. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was this part here about they did not repent. And I had to take a close look at myself and realize that I had some repenting to do because I know I have become incredibly too comfortable with worshiping idols. Now, they might look different, but we still have them, don't we? We don't like talking about repentance, but the reality is that it is crucial to following Jesus and receiving the redemption and salvation that he so freely offers us. Like me, maybe today, you also have some repenting to do. All right, chapter 10. You're like looking at me skeptically. Okay, chapter 10. In chapter 10... 
we have an angel straddling land and water, holding a scroll in his hand. Does this sound familiar also to anyone? Think back to the Daniel study you all went through. It should because this is a replaying of Daniel chapter 12. The very last chapter of Daniel, this is a replaying of it. But there's a big difference. Something different happens with the scroll. In Daniel 12.4, Daniel is told to roll up the scroll and seal the words until the time of the end. Y'all remember this? But here in Revelation 10 verse 6, the angel declares, there is no more delay. In other words, it's time. The end is here. The time of fulfillment has reached its place. And so he gives the scroll to John to eat. And just like Ezekiel, who also eats the scroll in Ezekiel 3, and it's bittersweet, John eats it, and the angel declares to him, it is time to be read and proclaimed. It's a bittersweet, but it's time. The end is here. And that pretty much sums up chapter 10. The end. Let's go home. No. Um, so, like I said, having three chapters, you know, as a teacher, it kills me because I like to go in depth with every little thing, but, I, but you know, you really can't. So what I want to do, though, as your preacher for the morning, is take a step back and look at some of more of the broader things that are happening. Because as we see all this, like, wow. There's a lot that's happening. And so how do we make sense of it all? What are the connecting points between all of these three chapters that are dealing with these angels and these trumpets? The one thing I will say that has become clear to me after reading these three chapters together is that something beautiful and hopeful is at work. You might say, well, but Kyle, all I see is death, destruction, and chaos. And you'd be right. There's a lot of that. But let's mine a little deeper. What do the trumpets symbolize? What do the trumpets symbolize? Well, trumpets are used throughout the Old Testament to symbolize two main things. One, the heralding of a coming king or kingdom. And two, the pronouncement of war and battle. Okay? And we could also say used in worship like we had wonderfully this morning. But primarily when we see it in Scripture, it's doing one of these two things. Pronouncing God's king, God is king or God's kingdom come. Or that there's a pronouncement for some kind of battle. Like think of the battle of Jericho. Think of um, other places like even in the story of Gideon where there's trumpets or horns. Things that are being proclaimed right before battle. Where judgment is about to be given to enemies. So these images, like this image of the trumpets, would have put this in the original audience's mind. And let me just go ahead and make the statement that I believe to be true with my whole heart, that 
when they heard this idea, this image of the trumpets, they would not have been invoked to fear. They would have been invoked to hope. We hear all of this, these things about death and destruction and plagues and locusts and all these things. And the tendency is for us to fear. But when we do that, we miss the point of why John wrote this letter, which is to give persecuted people a sense of hope of what is to come. God wins in the end. The enemy does not win. God wins. Jesus has overcome. There is nothing that can overcome us. Even if we lose our life in this life, we are promised resurrection. We are promised the life to come. Jesus will return and make all things new, all things right. Amen? Amen. That's the truth here. It's not fear. Like when they hear trumpets and they hear all this stuff, they're starting to think hope. Now let me ask us a question. If we were a suffering and severely persecuted people, what would be the two things that would bring us the most hope? Well, as I was thinking through this, one thing for sure I know is that I would feel incredibly hopeful about knowing that the suffering was going to end because God's kingdom was coming. Trumpets declaring it. For another thing, I would be incredibly hopeful knowing that God was going to make all things right, including bringing judgment to my enemies, to his enemies. Pronouncement of war and battle. Pronouncement of God's kingdom. Remember, these are what the trumpet usually would put off like ideas and thoughts and remembrance in the original audience's mind. Remember, we have a persecuted people who are sending up prayers to heaven, which God pauses to hear. Prayers like, come Lord Jesus, were answered with seven trumpet blasts, announcing the arrival of God coming to earth to consummate His kingdom and bring judgment on His enemies. A coming that was to be delayed no longer. This is hope, my friends. For just as God heard the cries of His people in Egypt and delivered them and brought judgment on the Egyptians, so God will be faithful to do it again. The only fear here is for those who fail to repent. For those of us who call Jesus Lord, for those of us who see Him as the Lamb, we have nothing to fear but only to hope. Because just like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians and in other places, when he talks about the trumpet blasts, What does he see happening? That when the trumpet is sounded, Jesus is coming down and the dead will rise. Hope. When we hear those trumpets, it's hope. I want to kind of end our time 
with three kind of practical takeaways and challenges for us. The first, the first of those is prayer. Because as we saw in this section of Scripture that we kind of walked through today, the prayers of God's people play a significant role. And that begs the question of our own prayer lives. Are we a praying people? I think it's worth asking, right? Are we a praying people? You know, 2,000 years from now, when people look back on us, are they going to say, man, they did a lot wrong, but they were a praying people. I don't know. That's something we have to wrestle with, right? Are we a praying people? I want to be a praying people. I want to be a praying person. And yet I know so so often that it doesn't just happen without intentionally making it happen. Are you a praying person? Do you believe that your prayers are effective? In James it says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective, right? Do you believe your prayers are effective? Well, I want to challenge you this week to invest deeply, invest deeply in your prayer life with Jesus. Invest deeply in your prayer life with Jesus, trusting that He hears your prayers and then desires to respond to you. Trusting that when He hears your prayers, He is going to pause and silence heaven and say, hold on, this is important. Invest deeply in your prayer life this week. All right, our second takeaway, challenge, is repentance. Ooh. It's a tough word, right? Repentance. We see repentance in this chapter or in this section in a powerful way, but what we see about it is the lack thereof, right? Like, Chapter uh, 9 really wants to show us the lack thereof of repentance. And so what I want to challenge you all with this week, and myself, is spend some time in repentance. Remember though, when I say the word repentance, I'm not just simply talking about confessing sin. That's sure, that's part of it. Confessing sin is part of repentance, and so some of us need to confess of sin and repent in that way. But what I'm also talking about is repentance is a change of mind. It is a realignment with God's plan and purposes that oftentimes we drift away from, right? Anybody else drifted? Okay. I'm not afraid to lift lift up my hands, and I know several of you did, but... We drift. That's just the reality of it. So repentance is saying, Lord, 
Not just forgive me for this sin, this sin, X, Y, and Z, but Lord, realign my heart and mind to your will and plan. Let me reorient my life towards your heart and your vision and your will. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, repentance. I want to challenge you to do that this week. It's hard, I'm not going to lie. But it's a beautiful thing because we have a God, we have a Savior in Jesus who hears, who wants us, who wants to set us free, whose grace is so overwhelming and beautiful that it's in a way, it's, it's more for us to get our lives back in line. It's a beautiful thing. It's, all, it's a tough word, but it's a beautiful thing. Okay, finally, the last thing I want to kind of challenge us with and one takeaway is waiting. I want to challenge you to spend some time waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Think about it. Daniel was essentially asked to wait with the scroll until the right time. Lots of time passed between Daniel and Revelation, and lots of time has passed between Revelation and now. Waiting and trusting in the Lord is just part of our journey. When things get hard, when years like 2020 come, we are tempted to give up, but we need only to wait on the Lord who is faithful to His promises. He is faithful to his promises. If I have been learning one thing since the pandemic started, it is this waiting on the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, I am not good at it, okay? Like I was just mentioning the other day to our student leaders, we were talking about takeaways, like big things God has taught us over the last year. And one of the things I told them is like, I have such a thick skull apparently because I'm still being reminded of this. Like even last week as I'm like walking my dog um, at Audubon, um, just him and I on the trail and I'm noticing how far ahead of me he's getting um, and then he'll come back, but how far he's going and he's not waiting on me. And I'm just like so frustrated. Why is this dog keep going so far ahead of me? And then like the Lord spoke to me. It's like what you do with me. He's like, yeah, you're on the path. I appreciate that. But I want this to, I want you to walk with me. I want you to wait with me. I can see some dangers around the corner you can't see. And if you get too far ahead, you, you're going to be in trouble. Wait on the Lord. It's hard. It's not easy. But Man, life is blessed when we learn how to wait on the Lord. For a people suffering and persecution, it's not easy either. John's original audience was facing death, was, were facing torture, were facing all sorts of evils. And waiting was hard. But waiting can be easier when we have the hope that Jesus will make things right. We have a we worship a God who is trustworthy. We worship a God who who fulfills his promises. We worship a God who 
When the trumpet blasts, He will come. He will make all things new. And He will deal with our enemies. So when your times get tough, and you're in that place where you're proclaiming Maranatha, or come Lord Jesus, come, please, take me out of this situation. Maybe that's experiencing a death or suffering or maybe things are happening at work or maybe there's just family drama that you're dealing with. Whatever it is and you have to pray that prayer, remember and hear the promise that the angel gives John. That there will be a day when trumpets are sounded and a pronouncement is made that Jesus will return and He'll fully bring His kingdom. He will make right of all the wrong and He will bring judgment to our enemies and there will be in that moment no more delay. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before You this morning and Lord, we just admit... We just submit ourselves to You as we admit that life can sometimes be hard. And Lord, that it's hard for us, Lord, when we are facing challenges to know how we can best trust in Your promises. Lord, it's hard also when we read things like Revelation and there's so many images that can be so scary and confusing to not see the hope that you're trying to speak to us. Lord, I pray for each who are here this morning and each who are listening online. Lord, that you just be with them. Lord, that You help them be refreshed with a sense of hope. That You are a God who fulfills His promises. That You are a God who likes to show that You are worthy of our glory and our honor and our praise. Lord, help us to learn how to invest deeply in prayer this week. Help us to create that time. Lord, help us to know what it means and what we need to be repentant of this week. And Lord, help us to know how to wait on you. Lord, I ask that with each person you're speaking to, that you bring transformation and life change that not only lasts for a moment, but lasts for a lifetime. By the power of your Holy Spirit, please give it to everyone. And Lord, in Jesus' name, we lift all these things to you and more. The lion and our lamb. Amen.